0: Uh, well, good morning. My name's Andrew. If I haven't met you before, it's great to meet you this morning at Auckland EV. There's a few familiar faces out there from when I've been uh, here previously or um, from my church in Wellington, City on a Hill in Wellington. Some of you have made it up here to Auckland, reached the promised land, got away from the wind and the weather. Um, it's a great privilege of mine this morning to open God's word for you. Um, I was, uh, you may know the story of what's going on with our family. Uh, you may have met my wife, Adele. A couple of weeks ago, our son is in hospital at Starship undergoing a bone marrow transplant for leukemia at the moment, so that's why we're in Auckland. Um, but uh, it's, I could be really indulgent as a preacher and just pick a passage on suffering and use my experience to really turn the screws on you guys, and that would be a really easy thing for me to do. But I would rather take this part of God's Word, which I preached on at our church a couple of weeks ago, which was the next in our series, to see not what we want... But what does God want for us? Uh, And so therefore, what should we pray? Uh, So, uh, Ephesians chapter 3, it'd be great if you had a Bible that was open. It'd be great if you could follow along with me. Check that what I'm saying is what the Bible says. um, And I'll pray for God's Spirit to work in and through us as we read his word together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for these words, which are not just words on a page or words from history, but they're words for us. They're your words to us, your people. Lord, help us to hear these words in that way this morning. Lord, speak to us. Give us a heart for the things that you care about. Lift our eyes from our small problems and help us see what you on about and what you are doing in our life and in our world. Help us to be the church, help us to pray to be the church that you want us to be. Amen. Uh, So as a lot of you know, for the last six months, my seven-year-old son has been battling leukemia. Uh, Just this Thursday, he received a bone marrow transplant uh, up in Starship Hospital uh, and he'll be recovering in hospital for at least another two months and then kind of as an outpatient up here in Auckland for another couple of months after that. And I don't know whether you've ever been through anything like that or anything close to that, uh, but uh, during this time, we have prayed. We have prayed and we have been prayed for probably more than any other time in our lives. And there's been times where we've been overwhelmed by how many people have been praying for us and praying for our son and praying for our church, are uh, constantly being brought before the Lord in prayer. Uh, we've been carried along by the prayers of the saints, and we really feel that. And that includes many of you here at Auckland EV, and so for that we're really thankful. But there are lots of people who know us and know what's going on for Isaac, but they don't know the God who hears our prayers. And as I've found it curious to see the sorts of things that these people say uh, if they don't know the God who answers prayer. What do they say to someone in our situation? What do they say to Isaac? We've received a bunch of messages like this. Uh, We're keeping our fingers crossed and our toes crossed for a good result this afternoon. Uh, We're always thinking of you and hoping for the best outcome. We're sending our energy to you, Isaac. You've got the strength inside you to get through this. Uh, This one, please tell Isaac that I'm thinking of him sending positive vibes, beaming him some strength to fight his battles over the next weeks and months. Now, I don't want to call into the question the sincerity of any of those comments or any of those people. These are messages from people who deeply care for my son and they love him and, and we're thankful for that. But I can't, as I get messages like that, I can't help but sense the desperation that lies behind them. They're kind of the hallmark card comments. They're they're sincere, but they're really sentimental. They're they're driven by a deep desire to be able to do something to help Isaac in his desperate situation, but there's a, a feeling of powerlessness behind it. A powerlessness to actually be able to do something. One message ended like this. Tell Isaac I'll be praying for him and hoping that someone up there still listens to me. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you know the God who is there. He has made himself known to you through his son, Jesus Christ. See, Christians, we not only know the God of the universe, but we can approach him with confidence because what Christ has done for us. Ephesians was told us that uh, we were spiritually dead and God has made us alive in Christ. And not only are we alive in Christ, but we are now seated with Him in the heavenly realms. We are citizens of heaven, members of God's household, built together into a temple where God dwells by His Spirit. And so when we come to pray, if we trust and follow Jesus, when we come to pray, we don't have to wonder whether someone is up there and whether they're still listening to us. We don't have to cross our fingers and our toes and send positive vibes and beam people's strength to get through difficult times. No, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you now stand with confidence before God and you can pray. You can pray. You can bring your requests to him. You can bring your requests to the God who is sovereign and loving and bring them to the God with the power and the act and the power and the desire to act for your good. And so if you follow Jesus, you have this staggering privilege each and every day and what are you going to pray for? You have this amazing access to the living God what are you going to ask him for what do you want from him well here in Ephesians chapter 3 we see what Paul the apostle prays when Paul comes before God what does he ask him for what does he want from God what does he want God to do in the lives of the Ephesians Well, in our church in Wellington, uh, at City on a Hill, we've been working through Ephesians, the first three chapters this year. Um, You haven't been doing that. So just a bit of a recap. Uh, The main thing that Paul is explaining to the Ephesians is that uh, this is kind of the main point of the first three chapters, that God's eternal plan is to bring everything and everybody together under Christ. And in the passage just before this one, Paul has just told us that the church, which uh, Lachlan helpfully recapped, the church... um, this kind of reconciliation, this bringing together of all these different people, uh, that gathering is a demonstration of God's wisdom and power to the world. And what that means is that this gathering here this morning is proof that God is accomplishing His eternal plans and purposes. This church here and the others that are gathering around Christ and His Word this morning, they are a display of God's manifold wisdom this church is kind of like God's trophy, his prized possession, the thing he points to to show the world his achievements through Jesus. Evidence that his work and his plan are being realized in this world. That's what we've seen in the first half of Ephesians. And in the second half of the, uh, the letter to the Ephesians, Paul's going to spell out how the church lives out that new reality through all of life how they're going to live as the people of God in unity and love and how they're going to live in a way that displays God's wisdom to the world. And this little section at the end of uh, Ephesians chapter 3, it's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. And this prayer is like the fuel they need for that practical outworking of the theology, the first half of Ephesians. And this is where Paul is asking God to work in the Ephesians such that they can be the church that God has called them to be. Paul's praying that the Ephesian church, that we as the church, will be the church that God has called us to be. And there are three things I want you to notice as we work our way through Paul's prayer here. Uh, The three things we uh, need to hear if we're going to pray powerfully like Paul does, if we're going to actually pray for what matters, use that access we have to the eternal God to pray for what really is important. So the first is, who does Paul pray to? And the other uh, two things I want you to see is what he prays for. So who is Paul praying to? It would be great if you can look in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. Verse 14, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Now, I don't want you to gloss over that. I'm sure you've heard it before. God is our Father. We are His children. But we must never forget the mind-blowing privilege that comes with that. If we follow Jesus, we can call God the creator and the sustainer of the universe, the judge and the ruler of the world, the king of kings and the lord of lords, the alpha and the omega, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who, will say who can do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. We can call this one our father. We can call him father and kind of in that is bound up kind of this relationship of a father to a child a father to a son a father to a daughter there's both authority and there is intimacy god has the authority as our father he is not our equal our mate our buddy our chum uh, i have 3 kids um lucy is 5 she's here she's out in ev kids um she just turned 5 and she's just started to get this attitude I copped my first eye roll the other day, as I asked her to do something. Now I am her father. That's not that's not okay. God is our father with awesome power and authority, and because God is our father with um, with authority, Paul gets down on his knees to pray. Not saying we have to get on our knees, but that we we go to one who has authority. But God is also intimate as our father. He is not a distant ruler like a king or a president. He's not an indifferent authority in the sky, but he has made us his children, part of his family. So we can approach him with confidence. And that's what this family intimacy means, um, that his authority and that his power, they actually, those things are for us because he is our father. He, with his sovereignty and his supremacy, he's going to act for our good. Caring for his children, providing for his children, comforting his children as only a father can do. And so Paul comes before his father. And what does he pray for the Ephesian church? What should we be praying for each other? Well, he asks God for two things. He prays for transformation and he prays for appreciation. Transformation by the Spirit and an appreciation for the love of Christ. Uh, take a look at verse 16 with me. Uh, verse 16, I pray that He may grant you, according to the riches of His glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through His spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith." You see Paul here, he's praying for spiritual transformation in the Ephesian Christians. See, uh, what happens when someone becomes a Christian? Uh, when they put their trust in Jesus, they are joined to Jesus. And throughout Ephesians, Paul will refer to this as them being being in Christ. And that means that Jesus' victory, it's, our, it's, it's been done as our representative, so that his victory is our victory, because we are in Christ. And all that Christ is given, he then shares with us. But not only are we kind of in Christ, but Christ is in us too. So we are united with Christ, and his spirit lives in our inner being. He dwells in our hearts Christ has taken up residence in our soul. And that's the reality for people the moment they put their trust in Jesus. And Paul's not praying for that here. He's not praying that Jesus might come into their hearts because he's already there. He's praying that Christ will move through their hearts, that he will set up residence there, that he will dwell in their hearts. You see, Paul is asking that Christ will infiltrate and transform and permeate and change everything in their heart and now over the past few months during Isaac's treatment we've moved around a fair bit we spent five months in uh, Christchurch, and now we've been up here for a couple of months um, and what they do is uh, for families who have kids in hospital is they provide you with uh, a room or a unit in uh, the Ronald McDonald house which is right by the hospital and those rooms in the in Ronald McDonald House are, are really nice, and we're really thankful for it, but it's really just like a large motel room, and so it's pretty bland. You walk in, there are empty shelves, empty cupboards. There's kind of generic, non-offensive artwork on the wall. Um, but over the weeks and months that we uh, live in there, we begin to transform things and change things. We begin to reshape the room so that it's more to our liking. And so we move around some beds to work with kind of our family dynamics, and we Swap the pillows out for pillows that uh, we find more comfortable, which I think is a sign of our increasing age. Um, If you look, you see on our kids' beds, there are their soft toys and their blankets. The wardrobes fill with our clothes. The shelves fill with our books. As you look around the walls, you can see pictures of our family. Uh, In the kitchen, we stock it with food that we like. And most importantly, on the bench is our coffee machine, uh, brought all the way from Wellington. But then as you watch us live in this space, in this room in Ronald McDonald House, you'll see that uh, the, the systems of how we run our family life, they bring shape to the space that we're in. So the dirty clothes go over there and we kick our shoes off in this bucket here and school bags get hung up over there. And if you knew the Southerton family, if you knew what we were like, you could walk into our room in Ronald McDonald House and know that that was our room. You could tell that our family lived there by the things that you could see inside it has our impression stamped all over it, our style, how we do things, who we are, what is important to us. It's, it's going throughout the whole room. And the Apostle Paul is praying that Christ's character, his style, his impression, his way of doing things, he's praying that that will go throughout the lives of those who trust and follow Jesus. Jesus that Jesus would dwell thoroughly within us, that he would take over, that he would infiltrate, that he would permeate and transform and change everything in us. Paul's desire is that if someone was to walk into your life, if they saw your priorities, if they saw your values, if they saw your motivations and your desires and what you did with your time and your money and your ambition... And if they saw all that, Paul is praying that they would look at that and they would not recognize it as yours, but recognize it as Christ's. That this heart, that this soul, that this life belonged to Jesus. They would see in your life that there was spiritual transformation. That is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. That's what we ought to be praying for each other. And sometimes we actually get the joy of being able to witness this in the life of someone we know. Uh, In my final year of high school, I sat behind a girl in maths. Her name was Natalie. Uh, My memory of her at school was that she was a pretty nasty character. I really didn't like her at all. I didn't like being near her. She was a goth. She was into wicker, which is kind of a modern form of witchcraft. Her life at home was very difficult. Uh, And some of her friends, even her closest friends, treated her really badly. That was Natalie at school, 18, in year 12. The next time I saw Natalie was eight years later, and it was on my first day of Bible college. After high school, Natalie had become a Christian. She put her trust in Jesus. She began going to a good church that taught her how to read the Bible and how to teach it to others. Uh, Now, I hadn't seen her for almost all of a decade, but looking at the outside... The work that Christ had done in her, was amazing. Her life couldn't have been more different. It was a spiritual transformation that had happened. And now Natalie works at the, as a women's pastor in a church. It happens to be the church where my father-in-law goes to in Sydney. And she spends her time teaching the Bible and praying with others to help them know the Jesus that has transformed her life. That is what is, that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians, that there will be spiritual transformation. And that's what we ought to be praying for each other, that the sin we struggle with, that it will loosen its grip, the, that our motivations will be purified, that our desires will not be for ourselves, but be brought into line with God's desires, that our emotions and our thoughts and our actions, they'll be shaped by the Spirit of Christ. Paul prays, and we ought to pray for this spiritual transformation. Now, the next prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians is that of appreciation. Appreciation, that the, the, the Ephesian Christians will grow in their appreciation for the love of Christ. Uh, take a look at the second half of uh, verse 17 with me. Uh, so, verse 17, part way through. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. And to know Christ's love, that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now, did you catch what's going on there? Paul is praying that the Ephesians will grow in their appreciation of the love of Christ. Now, why would Paul be kind of asking for God to help them to kind of grasp God's, Christ's love for them. Well, Paul is praying this because we need God's help. We need God's power because his love is so immense, so wide and long and high and deep. We need his power to help us because this is a love that surpasses knowledge. You can't sit down and just work it out if you're a really smart guy. It's too big for us to get our heads around unless God makes it known to us. Now, I assume that um, you've seen the ocean before. Has anyone not seen the ocean before? I assume you've seen the ocean before. You might have even been for a swim in the ocean. Uh, I have only swum in the ocean once since I've moved to New Zealand. Um, Maybe you've even headed out on a boat on the ocean or gone on a long cruise across the ocean. So you've experienced the ocean, right? I say the ocean, you, you, you have uh, thoughts that come into your mind as to what I'm talking about. But you haven't grasped the ocean, the power, the immensity, the depth, the volume of the ocean. Now, most people here have seen something of the love of Christ. Maybe you've been a, a Christian for your whole life and you've known since you can remember that Jesus loves you and what a blessing that is. Or maybe your experience of the love of Christ is just seeing the John 3.16 sign at the football. We've all seen or experienced something of the love of Christ, but none of us have fully grasped it. And Paul is praying that we will increasingly and expandingly appreciate the love of Christ. That we'll never grow weary of the fact that Jesus laid down his life for us because he loves us. See, when Paul talks about how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, I don't think he's referring to specific dimensions, but it gets you thinking, doesn't it? Christ's love is wide, is an all-embracing love, wide enough to extend to any person, no matter where they are or who they are, no matter where they come from, no matter their background, no matter their ethnicity, no matter who they are socially or morally, it is wide enough to embrace anyone and to stretch all the way around the world. And Christ's love is long. It is played out over all history. It goes back to eternity past, when God had you in his mind and chose you. And it extends to eternity future, when we will one day experience the new creation, where Christ's love will go on and on and will never end. And Christ's love is high. There is no upper limit to his love. He will not just kind of love you to a point and then the rest is up to you. No, Christ's love, it will lift us up. It does lift us up right up into God's eternal throne room where we will be with him forever. And Christ's love is deep. There is no bottom to Christ's love. There is no depth to which Christ has not gone to love his people. His love drove him down from heaven all the way down to the manger And then lower still, down to the depths of the cross, where he paid the ultimate price for you and for me. And this deep love will reach down into our depths, into our dark places, into our sin and our shame. There is no pit that you can dig that is too deep for Christ to reach down and rescue you. Even in the deep places is the love of Christ. His love is so immense, it's so wide and so long and so high and so deep. And so what's going to fuel you as a follower of Jesus? What's going to keep you going? What's going to help you pick yourself up out of the gutter? What's going to give you the the hope you need to endure? What's going to keep you grounded? Well, it's not going to be rules, and it's not going to be the law-keeping and regulations. It's going to be the love of Christ. Just have a look through the New Testament and see people who come to faith, come face-to-face with the love of Christ. Look at Zacchaeus, Christ loves him. Take my money, he says. Look at the woman prostitute, Christ loves her. I'll break open the most expensive jar of perfume I have for you. Look at Paul, the author of the Ephesians, Christ loves him. Take my life, do with it what you want. When we come face to face with the love of Christ, that will transform us. That will fuel us to serve Him and follow Him. I don't know where you're at. You might feel like you're in a bit of a rut at the moment, feeling like uh, things have stalled in your walk with Jesus. Well, listen to uh, a preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, as he reflects on these verses. Have you been feeling sorry for yourself? Somewhat lethargic in a spiritual sense. Have you been regarding worship and prayer as tasks? Have you allowed the world and the flesh or the devil to defeat you or depress you? The one antidote is the love of Christ. Have you realized its breadth, its length, its depth, its height? Have you realized who you are and what you are as a Christian? Have you realized that Jesus is the lover of your soul? and that he has fixed his affection on you. So that's Paul's prayer. Transformation and appreciation. That Christ's spirit will infiltrate our hearts and bring about spiritual transformation. That we will infiltrate Christ's love. And that will bring about a growing appreciation for all that God has done for us. And that that will fuel us to live as God's people in the world who display his manifold wisdom to those around us there's a few other things i want you to notice before we finish up we're to do this verse 18 says with all the saints we're to do it with all the saints that is what paul is praying here for the ephesians is a corporate exercise there are no mavericks in the christian life the bible actually it doesn't have a category for the solo christian the one who is not connected in with the people of God, with the church. You see, we're not going to grasp the love of God. We're not going to have Christ transform our lives through downloaded sermons and Hillsong MP3s in our bedroom. You know, just to work it out on our own like a spiritual Lone Ranger. No, this is done with all the saints. This love of Christ, this spiritual transformation, it's to be experienced, it's to happen in the community of God's people. And so if you're kind of wandering around from church to church or if you're kind of wandering in and out every couple of years and you're wondering kind of why things are kind of spiritually flat, well get connected in with the church and get praying that Christ will transform you in this community. Get praying that you'll better grasp and experience the love of Christ in this community with all the saints. Now, you might have heard what I've been saying and it might not seem real. Uh, This sort of spiritual growth that Paul is talking about here, it might not even seem possible. Am I just another preacher saying the same stuff you've heard over and over again and you're just wondering, is it just all talk? Maybe you're asking the question, who can actually really do anything about my hard heart? It's been so long since I've seen any transformation any growth it's been so long since i've been struck by the love of christ i've been in this rut for so long now what could possibly get me out of it how could i ever really see more than i have seen well this is where verses 20 and 21 are so important for us verse 20 now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that is at work in us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever what paul is telling us is that god he can do what we ask In fact, God can do more than we ask. In fact, God can do more than we can ask or imagine. We're not just sending out positive vibes or keeping our fingers and toes crossed, hoping for something better. Oh no, we're coming before the eternal God, our Father, the one who could do more than we could ever ask, hope or imagine. And we're praying for something big. We're praying for something we cannot do on our own. We're praying for something that we really, really need. We're praying that Christ will change us. We're praying that we will better understand what Jesus has done for us. Now, our prayers, they can be telling, can't they? Uh, What we ask of God, it can really reveal our desires and our fears. Now, I'm not just I'm not talking about how we pray, whether you use big words and you're eloquent or whether you kind of are shy. I'm talking about what we pray for. It's really telling what we pray for. It tells us and it tells those around us, what do we want most of all? What do we really hope for in life and for ourselves and for others? Those are the things that I think are reflected in the way that we pray and what we pray. But I want to suggest to you today that if our prayers for ourselves and for each other, if our prayers are only ever for the kind of easing of life's hardship or things that would make life better, or things that we would desire if that's all we ever pray about then we have set our sights way way too low our desires for ourselves and for each other they are just they're too weak we're selling ourselves short if that's all we pray for then we are not hungry enough for the blessings that God loves to give and the work that God longs to do in the lives of his people And for those of you who are parents in particular, I want to say, what do we pray for our children? Do we pray for our kids that they'll just simply have an easy path through life? Or are we praying for our children, the things that really matter? The things that will light the path to eternal life? God wants spiritual transformation in you. Don't you? Well, we'll be praying for it. God wants you to grow in your appreciation for the love of Christ. Don't you? Well, we'll be praying for it. God wants to change us and renew us and use us as His church. Pray that God will And God will be overjoyed to answer a prayer like that. Now, lots of people have prayed for us. They pray for God's sustaining care, for healing. And we really do appreciate those prayers and God wants us to pray for those things. But if you're going to pray for me and my son and my family, for my church, if you're going to pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ here, if you're going to pray for yourself, Pray this prayer in Ephesians 3 first because we need this more than we need healing. We need this more than we need an easy path through life. We need God to infiltrate us and transform us. We need God to cast our eyes again on Jesus and the love that he has shown us. With this staggering access we have to our Heavenly Father, this This is what we should pray. So will you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, we pray that out of your glorious riches you may strengthen us with power through your Holy Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And we pray that being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Lord, you are able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. According to your power that is at work within us, To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.